Welcome back to the Der Show. Today, we're going to talk about the Steve Bannon case. Let me start by saying I can't imagine anyone in public life who I disagree with more on most policy issues. I mean, Bannon is as right wing and, and conservative as, as almost possible. And I've met with him. I've met him. He seems like a perfectly decent guy. But my politics and his are completely different, but I'm on his side in this uh, criminal case, as I often find myself on the side of people or causes that I don't agree with based on the constitutionality. Let's understand what he's being charged with, and even more important, where he's being charged with it. He's being charged with refusing to comply with a congressional subpoena, he claims, because the president's lawyers told him he had to invoke uh, executive privilege. There's a factual dispute about that that will have to be obviously resolved by the jury if the judge makes a proper instruction. The judges seem to suggest that even if he was told that he should not submit to a subpoena by the president, he would still have no right. The judge seems to be implying that the case is an open and shut case as long as he understood that there was a subpoena and that he was being requested to come he's guilty. That's wrong if that's what the judge actually said. Just to use an example from um, my life, um, I'm a lawyer. Um, I represented the president. Technically, I was really representing the Constitution, but I had a lawyer-client relationship with the president. Interestingly enough, I never discussed the case with him. He never asked to see my legal argument. I think he had confidence that I would make a strong constitutional argument. But hypothetically, Let's assume that the president had told me all kinds of deep, dark secrets in preparation for my defense of him on the floor of the Senate. If I got a subpoena, I would refuse to comply with it. I would probably do it more politely, but I'm a lawyer. Uh, um, but I would have written a letter to Congress saying, sorry, you, you just can't uh, subpoena me and ask me any questions that are covered by the lawyer-client privilege. Yeah, I understand what the subpoena is. I'm a lawyer. I know that under the law as you define it, I'm obliged to come. And maybe I'll come. I'll just take a trip to Washington and uh, go into the chambers of the Senate or the House. But as soon as you ask me the first question, I'm not going to be able to answer. Even if the questions themselves aren't strictly covered by the privilege. I don't want to open the door. I don't want to waive anything. So I'm going to generally just, just refuse to answer. About 25 years ago, when I was involved in a case uh, representing um, Imelda Marcos, remember her, um, the, 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 the Filipino woman with, with all the shoes, uh, we invoked uh, lawyer-client privilege, not for me, but for other people. I was, however, making the argument on behalf of the privilege. And Congress, at the time, the chairman of the committee was Steve Solars, who was a good, nice, left-wing liberal guy from Brooklyn who I liked a lot, actually made the argument that Congress isn't bound by the lawyer-client privilege. Well, you can imagine my response to that. We won that uh, and uh, persuaded Congress. Of course, they're bound by the lawyer-client privilege. And Ever since that time, they've not tried to breach the lawyer-client privilege, but they have tried to breach executive privilege. And, you know, both are rooted in the Constitution. Neither is mentioned in the Constitution. 
but they're both rooted in the Constitution. And conservatives, of course, who say that the right to privacy is not in the Constitution, do say that executive privilege is in the Constitution, particularly when it's invoked by one of their own. So, look, there's enough hypocrisy to go around on, on both sides. Uh, that should be the national emblem, not e pluribus unum, which is not true anymore. We're not together. It should be hypocrisy reigns. Um, and, and that's true on, on both sides in Washington today, unfortunately. Principle. That's why I wrote my book, The Price of Principle. Principle has been trumped by partisanship. And people today don't care so much about the First Amendment, about due process, about the Fifth Amendment. They just want to win. Whichever side they're on, it's due process for me, but not for the free speech for me, but not for the. But that's never the way I've led my life. Uh, due process for Bannon, even though I don't agree with his policy. So there are going to be several issues in the case. One is jury selection, and that apparently is just terminated, and obviously no juror should be allowed to sit who um, has an opinion that's already been formed. Uh, decisions by jurors should be based solely on the evidence presented in court. Obviously, that isn't always applied. Um, there are cases now in New York City, you, you know some of them, they're prominent cases involving uh, uh, jurors. Uh, in one case, a juror um, had written a book, that was the Weinstein case, and um, she was not uh, disqualified and she didn't make fully and complete disclosure of everything. And in uh, another uh, case, the Maxwell case, um, the uh, juror had said he was never abused as a, a child. And, um, and um, he was apparently and told the jurors, you gotta believe somebody who's been abused, they always tell the truth. I've consulted with the lawyers uh, they've asked me for advice on both of those cases, so I, I am um, um, not completely objective. But the reason I consulted with the lawyers in those cases is because I have a pre-existing view that uh, jurors have to be, um, you know, Caesar's wife. They have to be beyond reproach. First of all, there's an unlimited number of jurors you can pick from. So why have a juror who may be biased, who was writing a book about an old man who uh, was harassing and having sex with a young woman. Why do you allow a juror on or not give a new trial when a juror has admitted essentially misstating the reality, the truth to the, to the judge? So um, jury selection, will he be able to get a fair jury? It's the District of Columbia. The District of Columbia is the most Democrat place in the world probably, certainly in the United States of America, um, close to 90% of voters vote for, uh, for Democrats and probably 95% of potential uh, jurors hate Trump. And uh, are they capable institutionally, psychologically, emotionally of giving an objective fair trial to somebody who was so close to Trump and to the right of Trump uh, and... Uh, I doubt it. Um, the question is, can he get a fair uh, trial? If I were a betting man, um, I would bet against that. And I would bet that he would be convicted, even though I think the law is generally on his side, which brings us to his appeal. Um, if he is convicted, he will appeal probably twice, uh, once to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Court I clerked on, and then to the United States Supreme Court, another court I clerked on, of course, a long, long time ago, none of the judges 
who served back then are still alive. But um, um, I stay obviously in touch with both of those courts and I've argued cases in both of those courts. Um, and um, I think his chances of getting an acquittal on the law are considerably higher on appeal than they will be at trial. And look, miracles happen. And uh, Bannon is a great, great trial lawyer, David Schoen, uh, who was the president's lawyer in his second impeachment. As you know, I didn't want to be in the second impeachment because I didn't want to be associated with any claim that the election was not fair because I believe the election was fairly uh, decided. But David Schoen um, defended Trump in the second impeachment essentially on the ground that his speech on January 6th was constitutionally protected, a view I agree with completely. I didn't agree with the speech. I wish he hadn't made it. I wish he had acted differently. I wish he had called uh, people and called it off and done all that. But that doesn't get to the issue of constitutionality. It was a constitutionally protected speech and a constitutionally protected speech can't be a constitutional ground for impeachment, which says treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. It doesn't say First Amendment protected political activity. So he has a very good legal team, but um, I don't think Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, John Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Daniel Webster, Thurgood Marshall uh, could could win this case in the District of Columbia. So I think what he needs is a, a good appellate lawyer. And um, I, David is David Schoen is a good appellate lawyer. So um, uh, that's the two issues in the case are going to be the instructions to the jury. And if the judge gives improper instructions, that's always a good basis for reversal on appeal. And then the next question is going to be um, if he's convicted, which I think he will be, will the judge allow him out on bail pending appeal? He certainly should. Uh, Steve Bannon is not going anywhere. Uh, he's going to stay and he's not in a position where he's going to commit crimes. So uh, he should get bail pending appeal. But judges are known to deny people bail pending appeal. Um, and I think in the end, he will win. Uh, I think it's a close question to some degree on whether or not he actually has an executive privilege not working in the White House at the time the conversations occurred. But I think that's a close enough question that it shouldn't be criminalized. He should be entitled to take the position, I think it's executive privilege. I think I can't really disclose it. If you think I can, go to the judge. We'll have a hearing. And if the judge orders me to do it, I'll do it. That's what Navarro has basically said. He's another guy who's uh, being charged. I don't think these are proper charges. I don't think Congress has the power to subpoena people in the face of, of privileges. And I think if I'm wrong about that, let a judge decide it. That's what I would do. I wouldn't comply with a subpoena that asked me to reveal either lawyer, client, or executive privilege material. Probably what I would do, again, because I'm a lawyer and I'm a proactive lawyer and I'm an aggressive lawyer, is I would bring the case to a federal judge and say, judge, enjoin Congress from subpoenaing me, but that's asking somebody to do that is asking them to be very creative and, and original. And uh, that's not expected of a potential criminal defendant. So my own view is that neither Bannon nor Navarro committed crimes, that if a judge directs them to answer, then they must answer. And if they disobey a judicial, a judicial order, that's very different from a congressional uh, order. So 
Um, uh, I, I think that the government is on the wrong side of this case. And I think that Bannon and his uh, lawyers are on the, on the right side of this case. But, you know, this is part and parcel of a much, much bigger picture. And I call it the weaponization of the criminal justice system. And people forget that a precedent established today against Republicans lies around like a loaded gun waiting to be used by Republicans against Democrats. And, you know, as you know, I'm not a person who takes sides. Um, I am not loyal to any particular political party. I'm loyal to the United States of America. I love the United States of America. I'm very patriotic, um, but I'm not loyal to a political party. And I am loyal to the Constitution. And I, I would expect that uh, most uh, Americans agree with that uh, position. Many are loyal to political parties or political ideologies, not me. Um, and, and so uh, what we're seeing, and it's part and parcel of the same thing, we're seeing congressional hearings today that have the right goal. I, we all want to find out what happened on uh, January 6th. We want to find out about the conversations uh, that occurred. I think every, every one of us should be upset that apparently Secret Service records have been destroyed. They shouldn't be destroyed. History has its claims. There should always be preservation of records. And there's a statute that protects records and demands that they be preserved. That doesn't mean they have to be disclosed. Take, for example, a situation that those of you who are young probably will live to see. I'm not sure I will. Uh, but, you know, there are very serious allegations of uh, impropriety or at least ethical impropriety on the part of Martin Luther King. I hope they're false. I think he was a great man. I admire him enormously. Um, I, I quote him all the time that uh, I dream of a time when my children and grandchildren will be able to be judged by the quality of their character rather than the color of their skin. But there's an allegation that he stood around while another minister did something terrible. They claim there's a tape of that. The tape has been sealed for, I think it was 50 years, and um, it's available to be unsealed at the end, near the end of this decade. Don't know whether I'll make it to that period of time, but I'm curious. I'd like to know, and history has to know, you know, it might cause us to reassess some of the legacy of Martin Luther King. Again, I hope not. And no matter what happens, it shouldn't destroy the wonderful things that he did for America. And, um, and, and, and for the cause of civil rights and civil liberties, any more than Jefferson's uh, imperfections, Hamilton's imperfections, Washington's imperfections should destroy their legacy. The legacy has to be complete. I wrote a book some years ago called Letters to a Young Lawyer, in which I start by saying, don't have heroes. They all have clay feet. No one is perfect. No one has lived a perfect life. Mahatma Gandhi was a virulent anti-Black racist when he lived in uh, South Africa. Uh, uh, Bishop Tutu was an anti-Semitic bigot. Um, Abraham Lincoln, uh, although he freed the slaves with the Emancipation Proclamation, he, his preference was to have them go back to Africa. Um, you know, he had also some racist elements in his in his mind, as many people do. So, you know, there, there are very few heroes. I think George Washington comes very close to that. I think Nelson Mandela 
comes close to that. I think David Ben-Gurion comes close to that, but I know all of their biographies and, you know, Mandela clearly had some problems with terrorism early in his life. Washington's wife did own uh, slaves, um, but he freed his slaves upon, and her slaves upon his death and their death. And Ben-Gurion, you know, had a temper and, uh, and um, you know, didn't do everything perfectly. But what an amazing, what an amazing guy. He stood all of about five foot tall, took on the British government, took on, you know, United Arab armies all around him and proclaimed the state of, of Israel, which has now existed for uh, 74 years. You know, I, I was at Israel's 25th anniversary, 50th anniversary, 75th anniversary. Uh, no, 70th anniversary. I'm hoping to get to the 75th uh, anniversary. I haven't been to Israel for a long, long time, and I miss it. So I'm hoping that I'm, I'm well enough and young enough and healthy enough to get to Israel to help them celebrate three quarters of a, a century. And may it be the beginning of uh, many, many, many centuries in which Israel continues to contribute disproportionately to its size, to the welfare of the world in every possible way. But let's get back to Bannon before we turn to letters. So I don't often predict the outcome of, of jury trials, but uh, this is a case that should have resulted in a change of venue uh, to try the case outside of the District of Columbia. Not easy to do, not easy to happen, but it should have happened. Uh, there should have been a possibility of delay when the judge made an important decision. These are all issues that we raised on appeal uh, and it's always possible that you'll get 12 jurors with no um, predisposition. And, uh, but the judge has to properly instruct the jury. It has to instruct the jury that if Bannon honestly believed that he had uh, an obligation not to respond to a congressional subpoena as long as the president hadn't explicitly waived executive privilege, under that instruction, he could get acquitted. And if he doesn't get that instruction there'll be an interesting uh, appeal. So stay tuned. We'll be following the Bannon trial. It starts in, in earnest, uh, I think, tomorrow or maybe the day after tomorrow, but we'll be following it. It's probably not going to be a long, long case, but it could be a very important one uh, legally in the history of this country and in what's going on in, in Washington today. Okay, let's get to some letters. I remember that uh, yesterday I talked about this guy who was attacked on the beach for reading <laughs> my book. And I got a bunch of letters about that. Uh, you know, some of them were the typical things that I'll, I'll read one or two just to tell you what kind of idiots write to me. This is an interesting one. Wouldn't happen to me. Some clown accosts me, they will get shot as I'm always armed unless I'm taking a shower. And even then my firearm is close by. I will always maintain that an armed society is a polite society. I ascribe to the unwritten credo that anyone wishing me bodily harm is going to be introduced to my Kimber 45. The best argument for gun control I've ever heard. Do you really want that guy to have a gun? And if somebody comes up to him and wants to slap him on the face or attack him or spit at him, first thing he does, pull out his 45 and fill him full of lead. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to see a few more slaps on the face and a few less, a few less bullets. Okay. Uh, I'd be more offended if someone did not beat my ass for reading your garbage. Okay, so you, you want censorship. 
um, uh, for books that you don't approve of. And here's the typical one. You get this all the time. This is by Prada, P-R-A-E-D-A. If you ever see him, you'll know what kind of a bigot he is. Deserved it. I know if I came across someone with your trash, they'd get a smack. Oh, I'm sorry, you kike, pedophile, piece of shit. Did you really want grief shekels? I mean, you know, this is America. Everybody has the right to be a bigot, but nobody is right to be a bigot. And so, Prada, you're a bigot and you should be ashamed. Oh, you probably don't even have the ability to be ashamed of yourself. Okay. Thank you for sharing your pride in defending the rule of law through the worst cases. <laughs> Sorry for your friend's terrible long goodbye. I pray that you and his loved ones, oh, that's my friend Jerry Shargell, who died the other day. I pray that you and his loved ones uh, made the most of such a humbling experience. God bless you. Jerry was a, a great man, and he, he did have uh, humility and um, uh, and uh, he deserved um, all the accolades that he got. Okay, here's an interesting one. Genuine progressives don't believe in natural law and such have no moral center. Okay, I'm not a genuine progressive. I'm not a regressive. I'm a liberal. Uh, I don't believe in natural law. Not only don't I believe in natural law, I know for sure it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as natural law. What is natural law? A lion eating a lamb? That's natural. That's nature. What is natural law? A tick giving me a terrible disease on the arm? Is that natural law? I mean, what's what does nature have to do with law? It's the most uh, obvious fallacy. Uh, morality is not based on, on, on nature. Morality is an attempt to overcome nature. Uh, in nature, men violently rape women all the time. Some people say that's the natural predilection of the male species. And that's why the law is needed to stop it. No, I'm not in favor of natural law. I'm in favor of positive law. I'm in favor of us reeling in the law of nature. The law of nature is the strongest prevails and uh, humans shouldn't interfere with animals. So I'm not a progressive and I'm a, not only don't believe in natural law, I'm a strong opponent of natural law. And I know it's in the Declaration of Independence, but you know I don't agree with it. Um, and and uh, I, I don't think you can make a rational case for it. I wrote a book about it. Look, I've written a book about everything. Um, I wrote a book called Rights from Wrongs, a Secular Theory of the Development of Human Rights. And in it, I have 100 pages proving that you couldn't have any such thing as as natural law. Now, I know St. Thomas Aquinas believed in it, and I know that a lot of really good people believe in it. But you, when you think about it logically, it can't be true. Now, look, if you believe that the law comes directly from God, um, then you can believe in divine law. That I can understand. I don't agree with it because people who speak in the name of God speak in all different languages and, and, and advocate all different things. If your God is the God of the terrorists, you believe that um, the Quran says that if you see a Jew hiding behind a rock, the rock should come and smash him and kill him. You know, yeah, that's natural law. Or if you believe an eye for an eye, you know, that's natural. That's divine law. Um, but uh, I, I don't believe in divine law. I don't believe in natural law. I believe that human law is a flawed effort 
always incomplete, always subject to corruption, uh, a flawed effort to try to bring about some rational experiences, some rational basis for controlling conduct. Um, I believe the basis for all laws experience. Um, that's the thesis of my book, that uh, rights come from wrongs, that when you see slavery and you see how horrible it is, you abolish it. That's a right. When you see sexism, you abolish it. When you see anti-gay attitudes, you try to end them. Um, now, you're going to be conflicts, abortion. Uh, people say the right of the fetus to live. People say the right of the woman to choose. There, the issue is not who's right. Nobody will ever agree with that. The issue is who decides. Who decides? The Supreme Court said it's the states. Roe versus Wade said it was the courts. That's the issue. Who decides? Not who's right, because you'll never resolve who is right on the abortion issue. As you know, I have a theory that there are two different kinds of rights. There is rights that have victims, and abortion, you can argue, is one of them. The fetus is a, a victim, if you believe the fetus has uh, rights. Uh, the Second Amendment has potential victims, not one-to-one. -one. Uh, abolishing capital punishment has potential victims. People can go out and <clears throat> and kill, but there are rights that have no victims at all. Gay rights have no victims at all. Um, the right of a black woman to marry a, a white man, there are no victims there. Uh, the right of somebody to practice contraception, there's no victims there. So I distinguish between rights with victims and rights without victims, but that doesn't come from nature. That comes from experience. Oliver Wendell Holmes said the life of the law has not been logic. It has been experience, and Oliver Wendell Holmes was the strongest opponent of, of natural law. He thought all law comes from flawed human endeavors to try to prevent uh, terrible things from, from happening. Okay, let's see some more letters. I cannot understand your stance on supporting abortion. I don't support abortion. I support the right of a woman to choose abortion at certain stages of pregnancy, especially when one compares it to an ideology you hate. Nazism and the killing of Jews, this is a divide that will never be healed, nor should it be in my opinion. Nazism relegated the Jews to non-personhood status, just as today's pro-abortionists consider the unborn as non-persons, albeit shielded by the glorious but selfish um, mantra of a woman's right to choose. And it goes on and on and on. And it's, it's, it, it makes a point. Um, I, I, I think that both extremes in the abortion debate are wrong. Uh, the extreme that says that a day-old zygote or whatever you call uh, the thing that appears immediately after conception is the same as a 15-year-old child. It's just dead wrong. And the people on the other side who say that a six-month fetus is no different than an appendix or tonsils that can be removed without any moral issues, that both just wrong. It's all going to be a matter of degree. And I have to tell you what I think the good news is. The good news is that the vast majority of abortions today are not surgical abortions. They're not the kind of thing you, that you see when you see those horrible videos that uh, anti-abortion people show of fetuses being ripped out of the body. Most abortions today take place within days of pregnancy and they involve taking a couple of pills and there's no heartbeat, there's no living person. If you're of a certain religious belief, maybe you think it has a soul, but I, that's not the business of the state to save souls. 
The business of the state is to protect women who are vulnerable and to create a rational approach to how we deal with the intractable problem of, say, abortion at six months. Um, you know, a six-month fetus is very different from a one-day or whatever you might, you might want to call it. But it's also different from an eight-and-a-half-month uh, fetus. Those are hard, hard questions. The Supreme Court tried to grapple with them in the Casey case. Obviously, they tried to grapple with them in the Roe case. Um, and uh, in the end, the Supreme Court has said, no, uh, we're going to leave it to the states, and every state can have a different rule. It's going to create terrible complications uh, for women in America. But I have to tell you, I don't believe that the pr role, the progress will be rolled back. Uh, I don't think we'll ever be back in the situation where you get uh, all these back alley abortions, uh, which cause so much death and injury among women. At least I hope not. And I hope that the vast majority of abortions can continue to be safe, early, medically induced, not requiring surgery, and without um, uh, complications. That's, that's my hope and my goal. Uh, will it happen? I don't know. Only time will tell. Again, it's not natural law, it's experience. First of all, Professor, I'm sorry for the loss of your friend. This is Jerry Shargell again. Secondly, as you have observed, the chances that Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro will get anything resembling a fair trial in the DC circuit is almost zero. Can you only fight this bias in the appeals court, or could some revisions to laws concerning change of venue be acted? It's a terrific question. Uh, and I think laws can be enacted. I think the Constitution does give the defendant the right to be tried in the state in which the crime is committed, but he can waive that right. And um, the defendant can seek and should be able to seek a change of venue. And there should be statutes, laws, which outline the circumstances in which a change of venue can be committed. Um, I got your book too, but I was wise enough to read it in my house, not on the beach. All right, I, I, I hope you can still read it on the, on the beach. Getting convicted, dangerous, violent criminals back onto the streets to continue preying on the rest of us. And this clown actually boasts about it. And I don't boast about that. I boast about complying with the rule of law. I boast about seeing that convictions, if they are to occur, occur only after due process, the right to counsel, the right to trial by jury. Uh, what would you do? Would you just say if, if somebody thinks you're guilty, you go to jail and then don't worry, you're not going to hurt anybody else except in jail. Um, but uh, you need a process. And it's just too simple to say we like our criminal justice system, but we don't want you to represent anybody. And we certainly don't want you to boast about it. Well, I'm not boasting about the results of my cases. Fortunately for my clients, the results have been very good, particularly in homicide and homicide related cases. I can tell you, I've never had a client who has committed any violent act um, once I've gotten them acquitted or their conviction reversed on, on appeal. Um, and, um, but no, I'm boasting about being a neutral, objective a lawyer who cares deeply about the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution and cares deeply about the rule of law. And so would you if your kid were arrested. And so would you if you were indicted. So don't berate criminal lawyers until and unless you don't need them. Because if you need them, you're going to want them and you're going to root for them. So we'll continue this discussion tomorrow on The Der Show.